Welcome back to How They Train. Today I'm joined by pro triathlete and five-time Ironman champion, Joe Skipper. When I was thinking about Joe before this episode, the two things that I realized I like most about him are the way he races and the way he speaks his mind. I think of all the guys in pro triathlon at the moment, he's the one who's not afraid to say whatever he's thinking and, he, and he's certainly not afraid to put it on the line when it counts on race day. Joe, thanks for joining me, mate. Thanks, Jack. How much do I owe you for the intro? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone says that. And I think uh, I think maybe my intros are always quite nice because I only get on people that I like or that, you know, that I really respect and, and want to talk to. I'm never doing like a podcast where I'm like, oh, I've got to talk to Joe Skipper today. Like, I don't care about him. Do you know what I mean? I'll have to make sure I don't wind you up too much then. Otherwise, the intro might go down a peg or two, like if I ever come back on it again. <laughs> no, please do, because like we were just talking about off, off air a little bit then, I listen to your podcast. Um, I'm a big fan. And one of the things I like most about you is you have a very Australian sense of humor, like a very sort of sarcastic, take the piss out of everyone, but you're not doing it in a malicious way. I really, It's probably the thing I, I find uh, most entertaining about you. Yeah, I think uh, Aussie sense of humour is pretty similar to uh, to the British one, um, actually. And from when, when we have a look at the uh, our, our downloads and stuff on the podcast, we've actually got quite a good big following. I think from Australia, it's like the second biggest following we've got from the podcast. And uh, I spent four months out there before um, a couple of years ago, and uh, I, I got on with the Aussies really well. I think it's they've got very similar personalities. Yeah, it's funny because my second biggest uh, listener base is the UK. Uh, I'm never quite sure what the UK encompasses, but it's the UK. Uh, when you were down in Australia, where where did you spend your time? So I spent two months in Perth and then two months in Noosa. Um, so I was there for four months in total and went to the, the like we based ourselves as, in those two uh, destinations and I absolutely loved it there. I mean, to be honest, my favourite was Perth. Like I absolutely loved Perth for training. Yeah, both are very different to where I live in Australia. I live in a, a town called Ballarat. We actually used to have an Ironman 70.3 for three years before the, the council got rid of it. Um, and it rained there every single every single time because it's like, I I always describe Ballarat as like the leads of, of Australia. It's fucking miserable. It's wet. It rains pretty much year round. It's You wake up and it's dark and at 5 p.m. it's dark. It's one of those kind of places. Is it? I, I yeah. always imagine everywhere in Australia to be sunny all the time and... Uh, Really nice weather, warm, like in your training and shorts and t-shirt. I mean, you, you guys don't get a proper winter, do you? Wow, I don't know. I, like, like, what's your winter? 15 degrees? <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Generally speaking, you're right. Like that is what Australia's like. But Ballarat is a little different. Our winters are probably, you know, a top three cold place in Australia over winter. If you've heard of like Tasmania, oh yeah, Ballarat has a very similar climate to that where it's like miserable and rainy and dark all the time in winter. And then we have like a three month period over summer where it's just so hot like it's relentlessly hot and dry it's like 40 degrees celsius like most days and this dry heat yeah uh, similar to perth then in the summer i mean that's uh, quite dry isn't it when when i went to noosa i remember absolutely roasting on some of the runs i remember i was uh training for ironman texas and um i thought i bet i knew that could be a hot race so i thought i'll do a brick session off you know and uh, do the run off the bike and i think i was running it about i don't know midday uh, it was in the heat of the summer and I, I did 10k and I barely got through like I think I had to stop after 5k to cool down a bit and I got back and I was just an absolute shell of a man I had to like sit in the like cold shower for about 15 minutes and I was thinking god I don't know if I've got it in me for Texas if it's a hot race I'm going to be totally screwed um god it gets hot out there doesn't it in the summer 
my God. Yeah. I, I lived and trained in, in Noosa and then a, a place a little bit further south than that called Byron Bay um, when I was racing triathlon. And you just, you do get used to it. But when you first go there from a climate that's not like that, it's ridiculous how humid and hot it is at the same time. Like I know that sounds stupid because those two things usually go hand in hand, but it's sort of, it feels like a really muggy, humid place. And then at the same time, like a relentlessly dry, hot place. It's like, it's weird how it feels like both of them. Um, it's brutal, isn't it? It's, it's absolutely, you don't get that in Europe. Like, uh, cause you get 30 degrees over here where you go to Spain and it's not that bad. So when you look at the weather for somewhere like Noosa or something, you see 30 degrees, you think, oh, it's not going to be that bad. It's just going to be like Spain. But that the humidity is just, it's like Kona, isn't it? It's just another level and it just absolutely kills you. Yeah. Yeah. It was the first time I've, so I always see those photos on Instagram of people running marathons and they have like bleeding nipples. I've never, ever had that before in my life, except for the very first long run I did at Noosa where I wore a singlet that was a little bit tight. Maybe I was a little bit chubby at the time. And because of how humid it was, it stuck to me so bad that, but yeah, I got the old bleeding nipples. <laughs> and that's why you've gone into cycling now. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I think that's just because I'm not a very good runner or swimmer. Hey, uh, what are you training for at the moment, Joe? Um, well, it was supposed to be St. George, but um, I got COVID um, basically around the time of like, St. Uh, South Africa Ironman, what I did about three or four weeks ago. And uh, it's kind of derailed that really because... I mean, yesterday was the first day I've tested negative and it's only two and a bit weeks before the race day. And I've just missed uh, so much training, really, like not been able to train properly. And um, it's not like you can really just go full into it for five days and then taper and expect to do well. So I've, it's pretty much derailed that race. So I think now it's looking like hopefully pacing, helping Alistair in the sub seven thing. And then the next big goal would be the North American Ironman Championships on the 12th of June. Yeah because I've got another five weeks and I think I'll be good for that. Yeah. And so with your COVID, how have you found your return to training? Have you found that, that you're still having some adverse effects or, or are you pretty much back to normal now? Um, but it's quite hard to say really. I mean, like yesterday I did three hours on the bike, which is like the longest ride I've done. And I felt pretty good to be fair. Um, but like the first, while I actually had COVID, I, I did a bit of training after about five days, you know, like not that hard, like quite, but one day I just did like a two hour ride. Um, I think it was actually, I mean, we're on Thursday now. So it was Saturday. I did a two hour ride to the cap with my mates and not that hard, you know, literally just a normal ride and then a swim, um, but about a 30 minute swim. And um, it kind of made me get all like bunged up and then had like a headache the next day. So, you know, you had to be, and then I was like, oh God, I'm not gonna do anything on Sunday. Um, so I just took Sunday off. But so it was, it's a, a, a bit funny really, because you feel quite good. And I felt quite good when I was actually riding. But it's like you don't recover properly from it. So you have to be mega careful because the temptation is to do the training. I mean, even a dumbed down version, like even if I did what I'd normally do on a recovery day, it would have been like too much, but you felt good. It wasn't like you felt heavy legged or bad, um, but you'd pay for it. You just wouldn't recover from it if you did it. So I had to take it really easy. Uh, yesterday when I did the three hour ride, I just did nothing else that day because I'm like, I'm doing a three hour ride. It's a lot more than what I have done. So I'm just going to do that by myself and see how I recover after that to get an idea of how I'll be building it back in. And I feel fine. I felt pretty good actually during the ride and I feel like I've recovered. So I'll, once I get to Monday, I'll look to start building things up and just kind of playing it. You have to kind of play it a bit by ear because you hear so many different stories and there's so many horror stories from people as well that have built it up too quickly. And then they've got like developed long COVID and 
um heart problems and everything like that i think it like i mean my partner had it she didn't have any any impact at all but i think with athletes from what i've seen a lot of athletes have had a lot of problems and i think that's because you're more attuned to how your body feels and you're pushing it a lot more like if i was just a normal person i was just doing a n- normal job and i wasn't really doing much training i would think i was pretty much fine but you know like you know i could go out and i could do everything like normal and i wouldn't have any problems but it's just when you're trying to train and you're trying to train for ironmans which are pretty demanding anyway you notice stuff a lot more and you're a lot more in tune to, to how your body's feeling and how was your fitness and, and shape coming into to St. George? How were you feeling about the race before you um, got COVID? Well, coming into South Africa, I was feeling absolutely fantastic. Like I'd been swimming the best I'd ever done. I'd been running the best I'd ever done. Cycling, I wouldn't say my power was the best it's ever been, but the era, I was more aerodynamic and my power was still like, it was good. It was decent. You know, it was like up there, but it wasn't the best it had been. But because of the position that I had, I was confident that I could ride faster um i guess i'd save more watts in like aerodynamics but not uh, as much power as what i have done before but you know considering my swimming and running were going the best you know they had ever done i was really confident but then in the race it just uh, i got onto the run and i just didn't have any fit like i just felt so flat it was such a weird feeling i mean i don't know if i had it then or not like it might have been migrating in my body before it actually came out and tested positive but i just didn't feel my normal self on the run it was so disappointing because I'd been running so well in training and every run I'd done off the bike had gone absolutely fantastic. You know, I was like super confident and I was really confident in my form, but, but then I kind of thought I didn't really know. And then my friend tested positive who I'd been hanging around with, like who does the podcast with me, Tom on the Wednesday after the race. So like literally like two and a half days after. Um, and then I tested positive like a couple of days after that. I mean, I, I didn't feel bad or anything like it until it until it, and then it really hit me on like the Friday and Saturday and I felt like I had the flu but it had been going really well and I was really confident of doing a good race in St George and uh, then this happened and um, it's like you know I could go there and I could finish the race but I just don't think I could get a result and I just don't really think there's any point in going there just to kind of get a finishers t-shirt you know I've got four of them already like from the world champs I didn't need another one yeah okay so with you at the moment, is your entire like is 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 your entire triathlon life revolved revolving around just wanting to win an Ironman World Championship? Like, is that is that your main focus and all you really care about at the end of the day? Um, well, I, I like to try and win any race that I turn up to. Really, um, like not just the World Champs. I mean, I, I I guess I wouldn't say it was like totally my like focus i mean like i want to win like other races so for instance like i'm doing an ironman in june i'm going to do if i if everything had gone to plan i wouldn't have done north american champs i'd just be doing nice and like i'd be going into that like full-on like you know to do it um i'd say basically like every ironman i enter i'm going there to try and to try and win it you know like it's not i I wouldn't ever say i'm going in there and not that's not my aim but i mean I, i do try and put a bigger emphasis on being in top shape for the world championships you know that's kind of what you're building up for and to really get into peak fitness for. But then if I enter a race and build up to it or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm still going there with like to give it my all and to do the best I can on the day. And with yourself as a triathlete, how do you, how do you view yourself? What do you see as your strengths and, and what do you think makes you the, the level of triathlete you are compared to other people? Well, my normal strength is I can bike really hard and I can always run really well off the bike but obviously that didn't really happen in south africa but that's normally my strength you know i can push it really hard i can do the spikes of power 
on the bike and then I normally can always execute a good run like really consistently um and then like my weakness is obviously the swim but I've been working hard on that this this winter and it had improved quite a bit I think and it's just a shame that I wasn't able to really do the proper swim in South Africa to see how I fared because I was really looking forward to seeing how I'd fare in a normal swim seeing if I could make the front pack and um getting a good confidence booster you know and seeing where where I am over a winter's uh winter training like period I'm going back to I think like 2015 or 2016 maybe like 2015 I think it was when I was training with a few other guys who um who we've had on the podcast like Tim Reed and Tim Van Berkel and, and those boys and I, I will never forget them talking about you because no offense I hadn't heard of you and I wasn't you know I was pretty into triathlon but I didn't know everyone and I remember them talking about you um and and the way they were talking about you was that you're a little bit mental with how you train, like because you train so hard. And I'm like, who is this guy they're talking about? And so I went and, you know, did some research about you. And so I've always been curious since that conversation about what, like how hard you were training back then. Is it the same as what you are now? Or, like, or have you are you training harder now? Or, or have you always been this like relentlessly hard trainer or the other side of it was it just sort of like a myth and it's not really true and you, you train sort of pretty similar to everyone else so when was this back in 2015 yeah i reckon it was 2015 or 16 yeah um it was hard to think exactly what i was doing then because i've like tinkered with it little bits in, in uh um like since then because i guess after every race you kind of look at how it went and what you think you could do better but i think i i just thought that i was doing similar to what everyone else was doing uh i mean obviously you kind of have your own like little slant on it don't you but um um but then i've not it's hard for me to really know because i don't really train with any other pro triathletes you know there's not really any based in norwich and i've only trained with a few, normally when in the past when i've trained i've just been with like you know normal age groupers and uh they've joined me for the odd session here and there and we've had to handicap sessions <laughs> but i mean uh, yeah like so you don't really have those people and to, to see what they're doing. The only time I hear about what other pros are doing is basically when I listen to a podcast, what, what you've done, you know, or some of them post on like Strava and you might see that, but that's literally like, I'm kind of in the dark with it. So I only see what I guess normal people would see who follow the sport as well. Like I don't really have any other pros to train with. I mean, it would be great if I did, but it's, I, I, I guess there's like a bit of intensity in there, like a decent amount of intensity, which is, which in the past always puzzled me about why, I struggled to do well in 70.3s because I always thought like the powers and stuff and the speeds I hit in training, I'd be pretty decent at 70.3s, but never really worked out that well. But for an Ironman, it does, it seems to go all right. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, uh, what in particular did you hear about the training then? Okay. So here's what I heard is that you did a lot of bike mileage and that you, and that you rode really hard. Uh, and that you did a lot of hard running and and quite a lot of long running. That's what I remember hearing. Like the long, my long runs are never really that long. Like I've only done one period where I've like did some like longer runs consistently, but that was only probably for about a two month period, three month period. But generally I don't really run over like an hour and 40 minutes. Like that's like the longest I run in training. Yeah, right. Like it would be very rare if I run more than an hour and 40 or an hour and 45 yeah. So let so take us inside your training. Let's um let's hear what you do. What's a what's a sort of average week look like for you when you when you're preparing for an Ironman, Joe? Um. So basically, like a Monday would be like an easier recovery day. So that would be like an hour and a half to a two hour ride, um, a swim session. But that would be I would do like a harder swim swim on that day. That'd be one of my 
quality ones because I just like to try and get it one banked at the start of the week because then I know I've got like six more days to fit in one more like you know really like decent quality one so I like to try and tick that off at the start of the week and uh, because the swimming is the one I find the hardest so I like to get that done and then a gym session normally on a Monday and then a Tuesday I was doing like a brick session so do like a couple of hours on the bike with some efforts like it changed depending on like how I what I felt like my strengths and weaknesses were and how everything else had been going but it might even be like you know for instance like tempo efforts or it could be like threshold efforts on you know on on the bike and then I do like a hard run off the bike which depending on the time of the year it could be like more tempo running it might be like you know anything from like a 14k tempo broken efforts for a tempo or even just like a hard 6k or like six by k or you know something like that you know it kind of varied a little bit and then I'd go for another run like later on probably about 10 to 13k and then a swim be about 4k and then wednesday is pretty tough like i mean it's not hard intensity wise but it's a long day so that would be like a big endurance day so that'd be like um four 4k swim that'd be in i'd pretty do, i'd start off with the bike so it'd be like uh 150 to 160k normally on the bike i was doing which is about four and a half five hours um an hour run about 13k and then i'd do a swim and then thursday would be like my long run a swim um and then a friday would be like a ride with like some intervals in which would be about four hours and then i'd do a swim and a gym session and then saturday would be like an interval session on the track um and then i'd do like a swim depending on how i felt if i felt pretty good i might do like some shorter harder stuff in there like some you know just to like spice it up a bit but if i felt a bit tired then it would just be like an easier one um normally like my hardest one would be on a thursday like that would be my other hard one if the week's gone to plan and then Sunday would be like a long ride, five hours, and then a run off the bike, which would be like a bit of a like tempo run off the bike, short tempo, kind of like 4K out. I mean, I'd run to this trail, to this like nice old railway line we got, do a 4K out, which I kind of do at like target Ironman pace, if you're going well on the way out, just to stop me going too hard, but to make it so you're doing something, because normally off like if you're doing like at the end of the week and if you're doing like a five-hour ride, a bit tired, uh, you can be so it kind of just takes the pressure off because you can always hit like Ironman pace you know so it's mainly just to stop myself going too hard and then I turn at 4k and then pick it on the way back and then if I feel good try and hit it hard for 4k because you can't really take too much out of yourself in 4k and then if you feel good you've hit like a 4k effort at threshold which you know at the end of like a six six and a half hour day it's pretty um pretty good and it's like gets you quite fit and it's a nice confidence booster pretty much like the general week really yeah, right. Joe, that's like got to be at least a 35-hour week. Uh, I don't know if it's that far long, like that much. I mean, I, I to be honest, I just I just, it just all uploads onto Training Peaks and I don't really do much with it, you know, but I don't know if it is 35 hours because I've heard that and I tried to work it out, I think, in my head before and I think it's around like 30, something like that. I mean, 35 hours is like, that's like nearly six hours a day, isn't it? On a, or five hours a day is not on average. Like, a couple of the, I mean... I think it's about 30, something like that. Yeah. It still sounds like when you're describing that to me compared to everyone else I've talked to, and, and that's like a 30 odd people now, I would say that's the most apart from the guys training back in, in the early 2000s. So the way you're training there sounds very similar to what guys like, uh, like Craig Alexander and Chris McCormack were doing. And it's, but it's definitely a lot more than all of the current guys I've, I've talked to. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. I mean, um, 
I look at Sam, what Sam Long does on Strava and I think like, it's like, it's not as much as that. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. So I've, I brought him up before, Reedy, a guy I have on, um, who's, who's a coach and, you know, a 70.3 world champion um, and, and a guy I trained with a lot. So he he's a bit of a believer in training a little less and focusing on recovery and, and doing like a bit of quality, but but just not overdoing it. I, I heard uh, I heard the Reedy podcast. I've literally listened to all of, all of them, what you've done. So I've heard everyone's, I've heard all the stuff, what they say. And one of the things I think probably looking back at my own training is one of the reasons why I haven't probably performed too well in 70 point phrases because from what I've heard and the trend that I've seen from who you've spoken to is I think maybe there was probably too much volume for me for doing well at the 70 point phrase. I think maybe like if I wanted to do well at the 70 point phrase, you'd have to, I'd probably have to like reduce it a little bit. Maybe you'd be a bit fresher and um, that might work out a bit better. I mean, that would be one of the things that like from what I've seen from the guys that seem to consistently do well at 70.3 that you've had on, they normally train around 20 hours a week, don't they? Yeah, 20, 25, yep. And that seems to get them good success. And then maybe on the switch side, that's probably why I've been more consistent at the Ironman is because when you're training a decent amount of volume, like week in, week out, I guess it just, you don't blow up as often in an Ironman. So you're more consistent. I mean, that's just one of the trends that it kind of, you kind you could kind of think, couldn't it? Wouldn't it be? Yeah. Here's my question on that because I, I, everything you've just said, then I agree with that's what sort of like I've concluded as well. But then you look at guys, like you just said, Sam Long, who is, you know, who's had like a, a six, 16, 18 month period, as good as anyone in the sport. You look at Gustav and Christian who, you know, are, are pretty well known for how much they train and the amount of volume they do. And, and then I guess even to a degree like Lionel Sanders, you look at him, these are all guys who are at the top of the sport right now and, and train a lot. Um, so it's sort of, I don't know, is it just, does it just depend on who you are or, is there some people that respond well to really high volume and then there's others who respond really well to a bit lower volume? It, it's like, I'm a, I'm a little bit confused about what the magic formula is uh, as well. That, that's the thing, mate, that there, there just literally isn't any magic formula, is there? I mean, that's why if you speak to 10 coaches, you probably get 10 different opinions, you know? Um, uh, like a coach will just give you their opinion on it and it's, you kind of just have to like either buy into that or use it as a bit of advice don't you you know and but it does seem like everyone done it does a bit different and you say about Lionel doing big volume but I think I don't think Lionel's volume was actually that big from talking to him like I think he was actually doing like he didn't do many rides of over three hours there was a lot of intensity but I, I reckon if you actually looked at his overall training week in terms of hours I reckon it was probably only topping out max for his biggest weeks, 25 hours, 23 hours, because generally like if you're doing a bigger training week, a lot of the hours would have to come from the bike, wouldn't they? Yeah. Because I mean, he was probably swimming like 20 K maybe let's say that's like no more than six hours tops. Is it, you know, in the pool five, five of actual swimming time, it's probably only five hours because he's not really going to be swimming slower than 130 per hundred. And then if you're only biking say 10 hours a week, which I think he, he said before, is like 15. I mean, even if he's running seven hours a week, which is going to be about 55, 60 miles, that's only 22 hours a week in training. Um, so I think it was intense, his training from what I've seen on the videos, a lot of intensity, wasn't it? You know, VO2 max, a lot hard threshold sessions, you know, um, but the actual total volume maybe wasn't too high. Um, but then he's been so consistent over the 70 point phrase, isn't he? But I mean, that's the minefield, isn't it about training? I mean, it's finding what works for you. And that's why I've like tinkered with it a little bit over the years because I found certain things work, certain things didn't, you know, I was running quite, I did like a period where I was running like 
two hour long runs and stuff. And then I did an experiment where I ran less for an Ironman and it worked out really well. And I thought, well, what's the point in doing like a massive, lot, like a long, long run if you don't really need to and you can still run well. So it's just about finding what works for you. But then other people, when they've like done shorter long runs and only run about an hour and 40, they blow up in the end of, a, uh, end of an Ironman, don't they? And they feel like they need it. I mean, it's just so individual, um, a lot of it. You said earlier that you you sort of just train by yourself, or you, you know you have some age groupers coming or out, or that sort of thing. But you'd never really trained with any other pros. Have, is that for a reason, or have you considered reaching out and and getting involved in a group of like a, a couple of pro triathletes, or or just you know going and training somewhere with someone for six to twelve months just to just to see and 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 have a training partner? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I would love to do it. I mean, it's not by choice, but there's just not really any pros here, mate. Um, you know, like the nearest place for me, if I was going to go and train with some would probably be, uh, Loughborough, uh, would be, uh, Leeds or something. I mean, I did train with some people in Nottingham. They weren't pro athletes, but there was a good squad. Um, but I mean, to be honest, the main thing for me is, and what I quite like is I don't really, if they're not really like, I have trained with some pros before on training camps, um, you know, when we've, when we've gone away. But for me, even if I'm training with age groupers, it, it doesn't really make any difference. And in fact, it's actually quite nice because you don't have to worry about someone picking the pace up on, you You know, your easy run or your easy rides and stuff like that. And like, you know, you can get a bit carried away, can't you sometimes? Because obviously if someone's feeling good and they decide to push it, you might end up going along with it, which can be good as well because you can sometimes, it's, it's, it's good to kind of be a bit more flexible like that, but then it can be, have a negative as well. If you're kind of pushing it too much too often, then you haven't got it for your, for your harder sessions. But when I'm training with like, as long as I've got the company, that's all that matters. And like, for instance, if I'm in the pool and I'm doing like two hundreds and there's one guy who's like quite a bit slower than me, he might do one fifties and we go off the same turnaround time. And then if I'm trying to use it to push me, I just try and lap him in 50 meet, you know, take 50 meters out of him or something like that. And when we're on the track, even though the guys are generally a different standard, just when you turn up to the track session, you've got six or seven other people doing it with you. It kind of, it makes a massive difference and motivates you. But one of the things that I've done this winter as well is I've got a guy who we call techno because he looks like the techno Viking. Have you seen the video of the guy, the Dutch guy, he's like going through Amsterdam or whatever. And he's like listening to techno and he's absolutely pumped. <laughs> nah. Um, nah. It's like, it's like an internet like memo thing, but he looks like him. He's got a massive beard. And uh, my friend uh, said, oh, he looks like techno. And then showed me the video. I'm like, yeah, he does. So we call him techno. Um, <laughs> but he's been a massive helper for me like this winter because he's been um, he's been coming out on the bikes whenever I've done like all my hard sessions. Like he's literally there long run. So he's been like giving me water. He paces me on like the track sessions, you know, so it's like and when I'm doing the runs off the bike, he's there. And he'll literally ride next to you, he'll pace you, you know, like you can use it almost as a training partner, but then he's got your drinks and everything like that. If you want splits, he'll give you splits. And that's been a massive help. And then on the bike, I mean, um, it doesn't really bother me too much. Like, you know, I'm quite happy. If I get people, that's great. You know, it's like for long rides, it's, it's nicer, but I'm quite happy to push myself. But I've generally had some people like for like 50% of the sessions on the bike this winter. And then for the swimming, there's been like quite a few of us that meet up during the evenings. Um, and then we do the sets and we kind of like do similar sets and uh, might handicap it a bit or we do the same sets, but we're obviously doing it at different times. And uh, that's been quite good. So it's, it's, it's worked out quite well, to be fair, this this winter. I just uh, Googled Techno Viking and he's pretty shredded. He's a he's in good shape, Techno Viking. He, he looks like a bit like a character off the, the TV show Vikings. Yeah, he's he's pumped, but our, our Techno is not as ripped as him, but he's uh, he'll probably drink beer as well as him. <laughs> no, this techno viking is definitely on the gear, I reckon. So, 
You should watch the YouTube channel. We got him to do a 1K max effort on the track uh, and his quest for a sub four kilometer. <laughs> Is that what you, did you call it like that? The quest for a sub four kilometer? Uh, you'll have to watch it. I don't mm. want to spoil it, but it's got some proper good sporting moments like that have broken history. And then we finish it with Techno doing the 1K. Did he? Oh, I want, I, want to, I want to know if he got it. You have to watch it. It was close. It was close. I'll tell you that. But he's at, he's in hard training for a sub six minute mile at the moment now as well. Which like he's doing a proper training plan for that. I love that. That's yeah. This is what I love about you. And we were talking about this off air. Is that um, like you're just a fun guy and you you sort of take triathlon very very seriously. And then on on the other side of things, you take it almost completely not seriously and I, it, I love that that sort of blend you have um and and for people who haven't listened you have a you have a podcast that that like i think mixes that blend very very well and and i'm, I'm really keen to watch that video um yeah how, so tell me how how have you found like um starting your podcast and 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 like all your youtube content and that sort of thing as well as managing being a professional triathlete um so the youtube uh, content it's been harder to do but I try and get like a guy to come around to like film the videos and we try and get on with the training and then he'll try and film it around it so you kind of concentrate on your training and he's he he's obviously like had a bit of practice because he's been doing it for a little while now and like he was um just trying to get the content while we're out training and uh stuff like that and then we do a little bit before and after and so because you want as like minimal disruption to your training as possible you know i can't edit it myself like i haven't got time for that and i've tried and it just takes me too long and i'm shy at it to be honest so um you know it would just take too much away but like trying to get someone else to do it and then obviously like giving them some money to make youtube videos is what we were what i was doing um i need to get another one out but um and then with the podcast that's probably like the easiest one to do because me and Tom as like we just arrange a time and then have a chat for an for an hour basically um on it and we try and do it on like a Monday or Tuesday. So that's not been too bad. Um the YouTube one, like I say, is definitely the harder one because you've got to find someone and obviously the guy who I have doing it is quite good because he's a young guy and he doesn't charge a load because I mean if I got a prop a professional videographer it would just cost so much that it just you wouldn't be able to do it unless you did it yourself. And then you know I mean, you want to concentrate on your training at the end of the day, don't you? You want to go as fast as you can and it's great to do all the YouTube stuff, but you don't want it to impact like how well you can train and recover really. I was talking to Hayden Hawks. The, uh, he's an ultra marathon runner and we were talking about prize money in ultra marathon running. And he basically was telling me that there is none. So you can win like Western States, which is, I'm sure you've heard of it. It's like pretty much the yeah, biggest. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do some of them when I finish triathlon. I want to have a crack at an 80k record as well at the end of this year. That was one of my targets. That was to see if I could beat Jim Walmsley's time, like uh, instead of doing an Ironman. Oh, well, I like that. Like do an 80k. I like that. That's a great idea. But did you know that Western States doesn't have prize money for the winner? No, oh, I didn't know that. Like I, I had no idea. I mean, like ultra running's like got quite a big thing. But how do they make a living then? Because they're like professional athletes, aren't they? Exactly. That was my question, Joe. And sort of that. So it's basically just sponsorship money. So he's sponsored by Hoka, same as you. Yeah. Um, and and that's how he makes money. And so that's that's like where I wanted to ask you: Is triathlon similar to that? Like, um, is how much prize money actually is there in winning an Ironman? And and how do you go about making like a living in triathlon is it hard is it is it actually pretty easy once you start winning races well if you want to see the prize money you can just type in like ironman pro member 
on and then you'll get onto the pro the pro thing and you can go on like uh there's a category there which shows you like all the prize money for how much you get for first second all the way down to like sometimes 10th place in certain races you can see the whole breakdown um but generally it varies now like this year for a regional champs $25,000 for a win to which would be like you know your continental championship races so for you guys Ironman Cairns $25,000 if you win that to like $1,500 I think for 10th place um, and then for a normal Ironman generally I think it's probably like the lower end is like $10,000 if you win but there are some that are like $5,000 but you, they're very few and far between and to be honest like if you were really if you were doing an Ironman, you probably wouldn't end the one that's got that poor prize money, you know, $5,000 for the win, because it's that's, it's on the same pay scale as what you'd get in a 70.3. Um, but I mean, a lot of it comes from like sponsors and win bonuses and podium bonuses, you know, that makes a big, um, that probably equals to more than what the prize money is. Um, but obviously, like you need to have the sponsors to give you the bonuses. So I think like at the start, it's harder because you haven't got the decent sponsors that will like give you big performance bonuses that once you've got more and more results you can get bigger sponsors you can get bigger bonuses for like your podium positions and stuff like that so that's where you really uh can make a can make a big like chunk of your money from so for example i won't ask you to sort of speculate on on individuals but take yourself as like a first second year pro triathlete or or even maybe the year before you'd sort of transition to being a pro triathlete and then take someone, you know, like who's probably the biggest earner in the sport, you know, like a, a, a Fredino or a, or a Brownlee or that kind of person. What would be the difference? Like how much would the guys at the very top end be making a year? And how much are those guys first year pros, second year pros struggling to make it? How much are they making per year? Oh, it's a tough one to say because it all depends on like how well you are at like marketing yourself really. And if you get the, if the results in that year, like for instance, like, in 2015, which was probably like my first big break for a year, there's no PTO as well. Like the PTO offers like a massive amount of money now. Um, but I got like second at Texas, which was a North American champs. So that was like $15,000. Third at like the ITU world champs, which was like a big result for me back then. I think I must've got off the top of my head, roughly maybe six or $7,000 for that. Like this is US dollars. Um, um, and then I'm trying to think, I got, I did Ironman UK that year. I think I got second. So that would have probably been, that was decent money that year. So maybe like another 8,000, 10,000. This is like 32. Um, I think I went to Tet to Kona. I didn't get a result in Kona though, really. I was like 13. So I wouldn't have got anything for that then. Um, so maybe that year I did some other races. Let's say I got $40,000 in prize money. Um, but the sponsors weren't massive. So I probably only got, this is in 2015 to so like in 2014, because you always go bank to get the sponsors. You're always going off what you've done in the previous year, aren't you? You know, so what I'd done in 2014 helped me get the sponsors for 2015 and 2014, I was doing smaller races. I did win challenge Weymouth at the end of the year, which was my first pro win, but it was a small race, you know? Um, and the rest of the year was, I can't even remember what other results I got that year, but that 2015 was the first big one. And if I had like sponsorship money on and bonuses at that time, maybe like $55,000, 60 tops, maybe something like that. Um, and obviously you've got to pay like, um, you've got to pay um, like your expenses to get into races and stuff like that. Haven't you know? So like I would have had to pay for Kona, like, you know, now 
on the sponsorship contracts I've got, if I do a world champs, you get money from the sponsors to go there. So like if I went to say St. George or Kona, it wouldn't actually cost me anything. I'd actually probably make money just from taking part in the race, you know, like a decent amount. But, um, but back then I didn't have that. So I would have had to pay it all. It would have been all out of my back pocket. But you know what they say, you've got to speculate to accumulate, haven't you? You know, like if you don't turn up to the big races then you can't get the results and then you can't get the sponsors. But then like the people at the top of level of sport, God, I mean, I don't know, but like, I would be surprised. I, I think they must be making over a million pounds like Fredino and Brownlee, I would have thought. Like, in ter- if you added everything up, like definitely, I, I'd be surprised if it wasn't. But I mean, that's just speculation. I, you know, I really don't know. I guess it depends how successful a year they have. Like, if they have an injury-ridden year and they can't race much, probably not great. But, you know, someone like Fredino, with when he won Kona the last time, I would have thought with his bonuses, say if he did Frankfurt that year, I can't remember, but he won that and then won Kona with the prize money, performance bonuses and the exposure he's got, it's got to be over a million pounds. Like, I would be surprised if it's not. But like I say, it's just pure speculation. It's so hard because... I mean, in in a sport like triathlon, money does matter because you have to, if you're not sponsored by like a bike company or a shoe company or or whatever it is, you have to pay for expensive equipment. And then, like you said, you've got to pay for travel to races, accommodation at races. You've got to pay for rent back home. You've got to pay to survive. So it's like, it's so, it's quite hard to, to break through because you've got to be working as hard as the guys already at top, at the top if not harder for quite a long period of time before you can break through. But you've also got to really struggle to get there because, you know, you, you're not making any money. Like clearly you're not making any money. I think it's harder now because like back when I started off, there were smaller races in like Spain and other countries where you could like win like 1500, 2000 euros and they'd pay for your expenses to go. Um, whereas now doesn't really seem like there's these smaller races it's literally like a challenge or Ironman that's it and I mean especially in Europe like to get like say a top three or a top five and an Ironman 70.3 or a challenge one you're a guy generally who's like would be competing for like a top 10 in like the world championships you know in uh, in that distance so it's like incredibly hard and uh, you've obviously got the PTO now which is helping but if you're not in the top 100 you're not getting anything so someone that's starting off they've got to try and bridge that gap to the, and the depth is getting higher and higher. I think at the top end, the performance is going a bit better, but I think what you're seeing now is that the strength in depth is massive. You know, guys that are ranked like 80th, 90th, 100th in the PTO rankings, they're really good athletes. There's, you know, they can still win a big race, you know, like a 70.3 and Ironman on their day. So for someone that's trying to break, compete with them, that who hasn't got the money that I think they just need, you need like a supportive family to help you. Um, because obviously if you're working two or three days a week part-time that's two or three days a week which really impacts your training and obviously you're trying to compete with guys that are training full-time recovering full-time you know doing it flat out and then you're only you're working two or three days where you can't train properly and you can't recover as well so to to bridge that gap's even harder so you've either got to be really really talented and able to like break through while working a couple of days a week or you need like a supportive family to just help you and like uh enable you to like to get by for the first like couple of years until you can kind of get your feet on the on the ground on the ground um and but i think like with what you were saying about like all the kits really expensive i think like generally like you could probably if you're a pro you could probably get worst case scenario some stuff for, for free maybe off some sponsors that might help you but maybe for free and then like with performance bonuses 
Like, so even if they won't give you a salary, I mean, I guess you could get like performance bonuses. And if you could manage, even if you got that off, say five or six sponsors, and then you managed to get one good result, could work out decent money. You know, if you managed to like get a second or a third in two or three races, and you've got like six companies that are all giving you performance bonuses, and you get 500 to a thousand pounds, like say 500 for a third, thousand for second, 1500 for first. If you've got a second place, you've got six sponsors giving you a thousand pounds for a plus the prize money. You know, if you've got like nine, ten thousand, you did that twice for the year, that's 20 grand, isn't it? You know, like in pounds. If you're living with your, if your mum and dad are letting you live with them to like help you, then that would be enough to kind of like get by, wouldn't it? You know, and then the next year, if you get a bit better and you can get like win a race, get another couple, maybe get a few uh, sponsors to give you like a bit of a salary, even if it's only two or three grand, but you can get that off five or six sponsors. You might get 15 grand um, and then you might do, um, then you might get the same performance bonuses, you know, but you've had a few better races that might be 25, 30 grand you get. And all of a sudden it's 45,000. <clears> and then if someone can do like, a, if they're good at editing and good on computers and stuff like that, and they can get the YouTube up, that helps them get more sponsors. And then you could get money off like the YouTube views, which might not be massive, but like if you're getting 150 pounds a video and you can do one a week, that's an extra seven or eight grand, isn't it? You know, that could be your rent paid for. Do you know what I mean? Like, or most of your rent. Um, if you can do it and you can consistently do one video a week, but then it will also help you get more sponsors because you've got more, you know, they love that. They love the social media now, don't they? Like sponsors. They want you to do well in races, but they want that that reach. I mean, you could be a really good professional athlete, but if you're not that big on social media, you're probably not going to be getting as good a deals as someone that's, uh, that's good on social, that's got the social media presence as well. Have you ever had a situation where, you know, a brand has offered you something, you know, maybe they've offered you some money, some performance bonuses, that sort of thing, and you've taken it despite not believing in the product or knowing there's a product out there that would make you faster, but you, you've taken sort of the, the slower, not as good option because there's money? Has that ever been a dilemma you've had? Uh, not really. Like, I mean, at the start when I did something, uh, like when I took a deal, I might have took something that probably like, wasn't great but like not really without by consciously knowing that it wasn't as good as like something else i might have figured it out after i'd been using it for a while but certainly not now like in like the last few years because you just you can't afford to it's just not worth it i mean for instance like say if a company's given you let's just make up some numbers you need 10 grand to use the stuff they're giving you some bonuses as well and it, you know, I don't know, 15, two grand if you win a race or something like that. So the total sponsorship you might be getting is like 13 or 14 grand. That if it stopped me from, if it was bad and I had a couple of races, like for instance, South Africa, where I was fourth place and I missed third. And if that product cost me the difference, was the difference between me getting third, the amount of extra prize money and bonuses I'd have got would probably more than make up for what I was getting from that company anyway. Um, and that's just in one race. So over a course of a season, it just wouldn't really be financially viable because you'd just be, you'd be taking the short-term cash. Well, sorry, dogs are there. Like my dad just read. <laughs> but yeah, you'd be taking the short-term cash, but you'd be losing so much in the long-term going through one season, you know, potentially racing. You know, if it was that much slower, if it was a little bit slower, you might not be. But, you know, if it's a decent performance, like last, like I was sponsored by a bike company years ago, and uh, the bike was terrible. Like it was so <laughs> slow. It was so slow. And my biking was crap. Like I was miles behind on loads of races. 
And my dad and my uh, partner, Laura, were saying, like, what's happened to your bike? What's happened to your bike? And I'm looking at the power thinking, my power's is like as good as it ever has been. Um, but the bike's rubbish. Um, and I ended up leaving that sponsorship deal at the end of the year. I mean, there's a load of stories. To be honest, one of the things was he didn't. They, I didn't even end up getting the money from because they never even paid me, which I've, I've heard happens to a lot of pros, especially at the start when you like not got like as legit companies sponsoring you. So I learned a lesson there. And then I ended up buying my own bike because I'm like, this bike sucks. And instantly it made a massive difference. And I went from just being in the middle to like being towards, you know, right towards the front. My power wasn't really any better. And that just, that was the real shakeup where I was like, wow, it makes such a big difference, you know? But I think at the start, people make their mistakes because you don't realize it's hard to know how much difference a bike makes, you know, like you, I mean, even now, if you go Google it online, you can't really see the data and then it all depends on your position and everything that that was for me the, the first big shakeup. But when you're starting off, you don't really know. And then you learn from your mistakes and you're like, Oh, wow. Like that was that, that did make a big difference. And then you kind of, as it gets more and more competitive, you can't afford to do stuff like that. You know, you'd end up losing way more in the long term. Plus at the end of the day, you all want to go as fast as you can, don't you? That's why we're all doing the sport. That's why we're all training hard and chasing and training our asses off, you know, because we want to see how fast we can go, not, you know, to make like a bit of money from taking a rubbish thing. You know, you want to see how fast can I go? Can I, what's my potential? Can I win that big race? You know, like winning a big race would give you so much more satisfaction than getting dropped just because and taking a lesser product, wouldn't it? You know, I don't know about you, but like the, the feeling you get when you like get a PB or, you win a race is massive, isn't it? It's a huge high. You're not going to get that high from taking some cheap cash, but using a slow product. If someone offered you right now, if someone like, let's say me, let's say I offered you, Hey Joe, here's $500,000, which I don't have. And I'm not offering by the way, but <laughs> let's say I did. You can take that, but you have to retire from triathlon versus, Hey, you have to make no money this year and retire at the end of the year, but you win Ironman world championships in Kona at the end of the year. Which one would you take? Oh man, that's a tough one. <laughs> it's the money, isn't it? I, so I'd have to retire at the end of the year for both of them. Yep. Oh, fuck. Like um, five hundred thousand dollars. Like you'd spend that pretty, you know. Like, um, but then you wouldn't get any money for the other one. No, no money, but you win Kona, or you retire now, never win a big race, but you have $500,000 in the bank. You'd probably pick Kona, wouldn't you? Because you could use, like, that would be, you, you know, forever. And, like, that would help you on, an, on a platform in, for the rest of your life, wouldn't it, you know, as well, like with media and everything like that. What do you think you would spend the $500,000 on? Just pay your mortgage off, wouldn't you? Yeah, okay. It's pretty boring. <laughs> like, a bit boring, but, like, you, if you didn't spend it wisely, you'd be screwed, wouldn't you, you know? I was picturing you driving around like your little shire in, in England with those like picket fences and those like little brick fences with like a, you know, a Lamborghini or something like that, a Rolex on your wrist. <laughs> oh God. No, like, I don't know. Like it's a tough one that, but probably winning the Kona because you could use the, uh, the, the you, you could probably use that to help you in, uh, in the long term with like uh, a job in, in the media, couldn't you? Um, yeah. And it would also be quite, you know, it would be, it'd give you a lot of satisfaction, wouldn't it, if you could win it. Hey, speaking of this, uh, this is a weird segue, but you do, you're not afraid to, to sort of put it out there, like I said in your introduction. And um, like, I know very little thing, like, but recently, you know, a little bit of back and forth with Christian Blumenfeld, which I like, and I think the sport of triathlon, triathlon needs a little bit more of. Um, 
do you sort of enjoy the the dynamics of that and like you know giving a little bit of stick to another pro, pro triathlete or you know calling them out a little bit talking some shit um that competitive sort of you know almost mma ufc style side of uh trash talking in in triathlon yeah i mean i i quite like it like i think it kind of gives you a bit of motivation to train harder and i kind of find it funny as well like i mean i don't really take it too seriously so if they say something back you know and i think um although sometimes like when you say something to someone or they say something to you it might kind of hit a bit of a nerve at first but you know it is just banter at the end of the day and like it does make it a bit more interesting I mean I know when Lionel Sanders and Sam Long had a lot of like kind of back and forth going through COVID like did you follow up with the Mount Lemon segment and then it was like a bit of stick going and then they raced each other last year at St George and like when they were racing head-to-head it was like, oh, wow, like there's a big rivalry here. You know, neither two wants to lose to each other. And it kind of made it a lot more exciting to watch because you're like, oh, who's going to get the better of each other? Because, you know, you knew neither of them wanted to lose. And then they ended up having that awesome, like the sprint finish. And would they have been as close if it hadn't been for that? You know, because they would have known like they'd been giving each other a bit of stick and like that I think it gets the best out of you. And also it's interesting. It makes it more fun for people. Well, I think it does. It makes it more interesting for people to watch. Um, You know, like if there's no kind of back and forth between people, it's just like, they're just anyone, aren't they, you know, in a race. Um, But I think like um, sometimes it can be taken out of context, you know, like I was saying stuff about Christian and then when they do the interview, they just pick up on some of the stuff, the worst things that you say to make it look a lot worse than what, it actually is what you actually said, you know? <laughs> yeah. And triathlon's a little bit weird as well. And, and like, I think running would be as well. Um, you know what? I think there would be more of this because I was talking to my friend yesterday. There would be more of this smack, smack talk. But if people say it, a lot of the people that follow triathlon, the older guys, yes. and the people that have been in it for longer, criticize the people for saying it. Exactly. You know, and say, oh, who do they think they are? You know, they shouldn't be saying stuff like this. And that puts people off doing it. Not the fact they're actually saying it to the other athlete, but because people like hang them out to dry and give them a lot of abuse on Facebook. And then people wonder why there's no smack talk. It's because in sports that you mentioned, combat sports, it's almost embraced, isn't it? You know, and like, that's what sells it. That's what sells it, isn't it? You know, if you've got this story, four people all talking shit to each other and none of them want to lose, you know, they all want to beat the shit out of that person on the race day. You want to watch that and see who comes out on top because, first of all, you're going to think, oh, the loser is going to feel like a, a bit of an idiot because they've said it, although it's, it's soon forgotten anyway. But you know it's going to bring the best out of them because they all want to win it. And it kind of makes that, it builds that hype, doesn't it? But in triathlon, you get criticised for doing stuff like that, whereas in other sports, it's almost embraced. You know, if you if you didn't give any smack talk in like UFC or like boxing, it would almost be like, oh, do we really care? Like, are they at that? Are the fighters actually that invested in it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas, like, in triathlon, they say it, and everyone's like, oh, he's arrogant. You know, who does he think he is? He shouldn't be. You know, and they kind of like hate you for it. <laughs> here's here's my sort of take on it and question for you, though. Um, take the UFC for example, a sport where. Every, like the more popular you are, it probably means you've talked some shit and you've put yourself out there and, you know, you're a little bit controversial or you're loud or, or whatever it is. And then you're right in triathlon. As soon as you come out and show a little bit of personality, maybe like a little bit of edginess in your personality or say something that's a little bit uh, controversial, you will get slammed for it by a very loud minority on social media. But 
How many of those people slamming you for it, for example, watched your race at Ironman South Africa or, you know, watched you win Ironman Chattanooga last year, for example, versus the crowd that's watching the UFC? Like if you're watching, you know, if you're listening to a Conor McGregor podcast or watching a Conor McGregor YouTube video, you're probably also watching him fight. That's what got me into watching him, that was. The smack talk that he used to give because I think someone sent it to me and I was like, God, this guy's crazy. And then exactly. I Googled him, found more of it. And I was like, wow, this guy is like, comes out with some funny stuff. And then I started following it and then you find more of the people. And that kind of like got me into it. And then I actually went to the UFC in London recently uh, and watched it. But I would have never probably got into the sport if it hadn't been for the stuff what he was coming out with because it was just, he's just crazy, isn't he? <laughs> so, so then why would we listen to the opinions of Craig and Carol on Instagram who don't even watch your races? Like they're not logging into Ironman now on Facebook and watching your races. They're just random people who occasionally hear a clip of something you say and criticize you for it. Like why, we, why would we listen to them? I think like the sport of triathlon needs a few people to just say, well, fuck that. Let's let's make some noise. Let's build our profiles. Let's create rivalries and and then give Craig and Carol a, a reason to want to go and watch it. Maybe you know maybe that means that that a couple of the people involved aren't really well liked and have to become the 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 bad guy. And there's a couple of guys who are painted as the good guys. I think that's it. I think that that's exactly it. They just need to be. You kind of need to be prepared to kind of be the bad guy. I mean, like Sam Long. I think the reason why he got the publicity, what he did is because can you remember during 2020 and he came out with the strongest legs in triathlon. And then I remember they were going into a PTO race. Uh, well, first of all, he beat like Lionel Sanders, didn't he? Like he, Lionel Sanders had the comm up Mount 11, up Mount Lemon. And then Sam went and beat it or tried to beat it. And like, I think he beat it. And they all said, that doesn't count. You were riding with a pro cyclist, you were cheating. And he must have also been like, well, Fuck that. I'm going to do it properly. So he did it properly, took Lionel's comm. Then Lionel went back out, got it back again. But in between, there was loads of smack talk going between each other. And uh, I did a chat with the PTO back at the time, like with Sam Long. This is during 2020 when they were getting people to like talk to each other, you know, on like similar to what we're doing now. So they could like kind of get some interviews out there, you know, to try and get some content going. And um, he was saying some stuff. And then that got Lionel fired up. And then Lionel did a video back to Sam which actually didn't get published uh, because it got quite personal between the two of them. It was hilarious. Uh, and it was, if it had it got published, it would have been pretty funny, um, but it didn't. And then um, that kind of had a bit of a rivalry. And then like Sam was saying stuff about like the strongest legs in triathlon and giving it like some, wasn't he? And that kind of, everyone was like, wow, who's this guy? You know, cause he's just come up with the scene. Like, but, and at that time he hadn't really had any results had he to, to speak of. Um, but then he started smashing it, getting results, backing up what he said. And then his profile went massive, didn't it? You know, like compared to what he was before COVID. And then I think he was giving it a bit, but then a lot of people started like hating on him for giving like, you know, a bit of stick. And then I think that made him think, oh, actually, should I do it or not? Because generally, if you are doing it, they're giving a bit of the smack talk and people like it. Like we would talk to each other, say if we were going out for a ride, together we'd say oh did you see what he said about so-and-so you know it was fucking hilarious weren't it like that was uh it made me laugh like i can't wait to see who wins mm, yeah but we're generally not going to probably post on facebook oh great to see him talking shit about so-and-so <laughs> but the people that don't like it are generally the ones that will write the negative comments so when you're doing it all you see is the negative comments you don't see people saying 
oh, oh, this is great for the sport. You know, I think this is really funny. You might get the odd one, but loads of the guys that find it interesting and funny probably just say it to their mates. They're following along, but they're not really writing on like Instagram, you know, oh, I love the smack talk, keep it up, are they? You just kind of take it for what it is. You see it and you find it funny and you find it great. But the people that don't like it are generally the ones that are on the keyboards. They're writing the abuse, aren't they? You know, and then you think, oh God, is everyone hating on me? Because I'm just seeing 20 comments like criticizing me. Like I went for a ride during lockdown did like 200 miles uh this is when it went into the start of it during covid you know when everyone was crazy over it weren't they and uh, i got so much abuse mate i ended up deleting my strava honestly i got trolled like uh i've never done before I i was almost deleting twitter i ended up having to turn the notifications on so all i could see was messages from people i follow because i got so much abuse from it and it hits you hard when you see the abuse it does you might only see a few messages but it does really like Hit, hit you a bit and it does kind of get you down a bit you know even though you don't see that many of them you kind of think like oh bloody hell especially when you're not used to it you know i hadn't experienced anything like that before um i guess you've just got to have thick skin you've got to have thick skin and not give a shit what people say i think it's because as a triathlete or as an endurance athlete generally you're not big enough that you have a million followers on instagram you might have you know between five and fifty thousand followers so it still feels like quite a um small little community and, and you're, it's not enough that it's overwhelming your phone so you can still read most of the things and most of the messages whereas in other sports or you know actors or musicians who every single day like imagine the imagine drake's instagram imagine how many people are writing negative comments on drake's instagram imagine how many abusive messages he's getting through his instagram dams but he's so big that he now wouldn't see any of it because it's it's gone past that level. Whereas as a triathlete, it hasn't got to that point yet. So you still read everything. So it's still, it's you can still let it bother you. But I think like at, at the end I of the day- You still read it. Well, so I think you still read it and I think you still see all the, me- or you see all, see all the messages like you said. But then I think like even the other people, like you said, who are really big, I think they just don't care. They don't look on social media. A lot of them don't. But then even when they do see it, maybe it does hit them hard afterwards because a lot of people end up getting like suffering with depression afterwards yeah. they? and stuff like that. You're probably right. But I think a lot of them is they just don't look at it. Like I know I was speaking to Lionel and he stops looking at it um, because he got so much abuse. You know, he used to get so much abuse. Um, and he said like a couple of people said some like pretty personal, like not very nice things to him. So he just uses, he posts all his, but he goes on that discord mostly where he talks to his people because he it was literally getting to the point where he was like it was generally getting him down and he wasn't even saying any smack talk it was just you know if he didn't have a race where he raced so well like he was getting uh bombarded with these like terrible messages but you know even but like yeah i think like you say though when you're that big like the celebrities that you mentioned you just don't really check it i think because you know they can't go through all the messages can they and i guess people would say look you're going to get a load of abuse you just need to ignore it you know it's, yeah. it's normal <laughs> but in triathlon we haven't really experienced it before have we you know yeah. like social media is not massive i mean like with actors and stuff before social media they were all over the tabloids on tv weren't they you know i think that getting getting abuses but i mean actually saying that then how much how much of a toll do we know that the bad the negatives of social media has because it is still relatively young isn't it you know 15 years so even the people that have been big in social media from the start who are like big celebrities they've not really retired long enough or some of them might not have really retired to really know the negatives because the problem with social media the great thing is everyone can follow you and you can speak to your 
people you know through that platform and you can it's a lot more personal but then the negatives are it gives everyone a platform and some people use that platform in a negative way to send abuse and stuff like that and uh you know whereas before social media if someone thought you were a bit of a dick they had no way of voicing that to you did they you know like how could they say it to you you know now you can go on someone's instagram and say you're an absolute dick i can't stand you and they might see that and think holy shit like this guy hates me but they wouldn't have known that before social media would they it is sort of weird how like the very loud minority are so willing to comment on an Instagram or on a Strava post, but you don't realize it's sort of, you, you forget that 99% of the people who follow you or who consume your content probably really like you and enjoy what you're doing, but they just don't comment. Like they just might like your photo and move on or like your Strava post and move on. Yeah. Whereas the, the minority who don't like you or the minority who, you know, think you run ugly or you know think you wear weird clothes on the bike and who are so willing to tell you that it's just like what is going on in these people's heads crazy that's why i think like back in the day when you had like that steve monaghetti on the podcast it must have been quite nice in a way like for those guys that when they were like training there was literally just like focusing on the training and it was literally just recovering training just focusing on being as good as you can get and it was no worry about social media, was there? It was like, it was, didn't even exist, did it? You know, so it must have been so refreshing in a way, you know? I mean, I guess if you did well, or you're a big name, you'd do some magazine articles, wouldn't you? You know, like Runners World or someone might contact you and be like, oh, can we do an interview for you about how your training's gone? And after the race, if you smashed a marathon, I guess you'd be into magazines. But you didn't really have to worry about social media and posting stuff up and getting the, the negatives uh, of it, did you? You know, you could just fully focus on like how your training's going. And do you think that the solution is just to be like, well, fuck it. I'm going to not worry about what people say and I'm going to start trying to... Because I guess at the end of the day, everyone who watches a sport or everyone who watches a TV show or a movie or listens to music, we're doing that and consuming that because we want to be entertained. Like if I come and listen to your podcast, for example, I do that in a car trip because I want to be entertained. So do you just put aside, well, I'm going to cop some negative feedback here. Some people are going to be dickheads and, you know, write something stupid and send me a weird message on Instagram and, and, and cop that just to, to, to know that you're probably entertaining 95, 99% of, of, of your audience. And, and that's, what's going to build your brand and build your content more than worrying about the, you know, five people who might send you a, a weird message. Exactly. Yeah. You've just got to have thick skinned and just be you really, haven't you? You know, you just, got to be who you are and not change because the if, if people like you and you're you then that's great because they're liking you because of that but you can't change to try and fit other people and I think you've just got to be thick-skinned as well like if you get some negatives but you're being you then all right that's fair enough like you probably weren't going to be friends in real life anyway you know like you can't be friends with everyone do you know what I mean like when you were at school there were some people who you thought were a knob weren't there <laughs> like they didn't do anything in particular you just didn't like them you know but it's the same. It's going to be the same on social media, isn't it? You just don't, won't click with some people's personalities, but that's just because who they are. And I think you've just got to be, be you post the stuff up. What you think is just how you are. If you give people a bit of smack talk, that's fine. If you're not that kind of person, then that's also fine. You know, just be you. And you've got to take, you know, you're going to get a lot of people, like you say, a lot, most of the people that follow you will follow you because they like you and they want to follow your journey, but there are going to be people that don't really like you, but that's normal. That's just life, isn't it? You know, not everyone likes everyone, do they? Do you have like a really memorable message you've gotten from someone hating on you that just said something that, that made you laugh or, or, you know, was just so wildly mean that, that you couldn't believe they'd sent it? 
not a real, not off the top of my head, but I, I, I do see, I do see some, but I can't really think uh, off off the top of my head to a really memorable one. I guess I, um, when I see him, I just try and blank him out, really, like you know, because you don't really want to be thinking of the negatives, do you? But I can't think of one <laughs> one proper negative, but they're normally they're not really normally that like good a story that you'd kind of think like that it would make you remember it. You know, they're normally short and a bit to the point, you know, (laughs) (laughs) also going back onto the podcast, what you said about, um, I think I mentioned it to you a bit before, but uh, might be a bit interesting for uh, some of your listeners because I can imagine they'd find this quite entertaining would be that with, because we've got patrons now on the podcast, we've managed to raise a bit of money. And at the end of the year, me and Tom are going to do, we've got a 600 pound budget. Tom's a professional triathlete who does the podcast with me as well. And we've got 600 pounds and we've got to buy all our race kit for a, for a 70.3 race. So we're going to do an end of season 70.3. We're going to race as pros. Um, and we've got a source, all our stuff and we've got 600 pounds. So like everything, you've got no bike computer, no power meter. You've got to sort your own race kit and you can get it all secondhand if you want. But the rules are you can't use sponsored stuff. You know, you can't get a freebie from a sponsor and you can't buy stuff off someone, you know, that's like literally the only two rules and everything else you got to get. So you got to get your run shoes. Um, so if your run shoes are like, uh, if you're on a bit of a budget, you know, and you want to save some cash, you might have to buy some like old used run shoes online or something, you know, save yourself 30 or 40 pounds. Um, <laughs> so, so let me sort of like, uh, put my ideas out there for this. So you and Tom, the guy who you do your podcast with both pro triathletes, you're going to race a pro triathlon race. It's not just yeah. Pro 70.3. Yeah. We want to see. How well we can do the re- one of the main reasons we're entering a pro seven point three is because then we don't have to pay for the race entry because it's covered under a pro <laughs> license that so saves us four hundred. And you've quid. got uh, <laughs> for for people in Australia about one thousand two hundred Australian dollars, uh, six hundred pounds. One thousand fifty, one thousand fifty, because I put it in the thing when we were chatting, so it works out with bang on one thousand fifty Aussie dollars. A thousand bucks to to buy everything you need for a, for a triathlon. So the things you need are you need. You definitely need a bike and you definitely need wheels for that bike. You definitely need shoes to run in, I think. Uh, what do you need? What are some other things? Yeah, you need race shoes. Race kit, like a tri-suit, if you can get one for that price. What, yeah. Where are you thinking your money's going to go? Uh, I, I, I'm probably thinking like maybe like 300 pounds would probably be on the bike when it's 250. But uh, uh, if I could get one with like some TT bars on there, that'd be great. If not maybe like 30 or 40 pounds to get some used uh, secondhand TT bars. Cause obviously it's a big aerodynamic gain that isn't it. And if it only costs you 30 or 40 quid, that's going to make a big advantage. Um, probably an old wetsuit. I'm sure someone would sell one of them for like 50 or hundred pounds, you know, and then uh, some ratios and then hopefully, you know, pick a cheap kit up or something online. I mean, I really don't have a clue, but I guess the bike, the key is not spending too much on the bike. Otherwise you're going to be really screwed for the rest of your kit. Probably not going to have a bike computer unless, you know, you might have to use one of them old cat eyes. Can you remember them where you have to put the wheel circumference <laughs> in for it to pick up I the distance? I see. I disagree. I think that most of the money should go to the bike because I reckon you yeah. could pick up. Uh, mm, okay. So here's the, here's the other dilemma because you're sponsored by like, say you're sponsored by Hoka on the run. Does that mean your shoes have to be Hoka? Uh, this is just going to be a bit of fun. I don't think they're really going to like care about that. You know, it's like literally just a bit of a Mickey Mouse thing. So it, like literally just anything. I reckon everyone who does triathlon or runs has a pair of like Nike next percents or the Nike alpha fly. Like literally I think everyone has, has a pair of them. So I reckon if you went on like triathlon marketplace or that kind of thing, you could probably pick up a pair of them for, 
80 bucks and I reckon you buy a pair of them and then I reckon you buy, you know, a, a $2 pair of socks <laughs> and then I think you probably buy, yeah, like you said, an 80 buck wetsuit. And then I think every single other cent goes to uh, a bike and making that bike as fast as possible. And then you just wear whatever kit you want. Like literally I would buy, I would buy the cheapest clothes possible, like a tri suit that I could get for 40 bucks or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. It's going to be funny. And we're going to make a video from it anyway with us like finding some of the kit and stuff like that and then turning up to the race. But can you imagine seeing them bikes in transition? You know, you got all like, they're like Pete, you know, top of the range TT bikes, Velo P5, you know, whatever, disc wheel, like deep section front. You've got all the other ones, you know, 12,000 pound bikes. And then you've got these 250 pound bike that's racked next to it, you know, like bloody gaffer tape or something holding some gels on the frame. The, the funniest <laughs> part of this will be if one of you is riding the shittest bike ever, like a, a 600 buck bike and, and like an entry level as it gets bike and you don't come dead last in the pro late race. Like if you beat, if you beat know, a pro. Be hilarious, won't it? That's, and this, That's my target. Just to beat a pro. <laughs> and so this is where the beauty of a little bit of banter between pros could be good. Because if you do happen to beat a pro with that, I, I just think it would be, you can't not, you know, then go on the podcast or on the video and have a bit of a laugh about that they lost to you when you were, you know, on a on a six hundred dollar bike and they were on a ten thousand or fifteen thousand dollar bike. I oh, know, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it. Hey, one more thing. So, uh, we talked about like the little bit of rivalries and that sort of thing. If you were going to have one rival in the sport right now, who would it be and why? One rival, um, probably Lionel Sanders. Probably just because we've like raced each other quite a few times quite a few times you know like i remember when i did that race in 2015 in texas which is my first big breakthrough race lionel probably came onto the scene the year before and was starting to do really well at the 70.3 distance and uh, we've raced each other like off and on since then like since 2015 and our characteristics the way we race are pretty similar we'll lose time on the swim we'll have to bike hard to catch up and then hold on on the run or run someone down so it makes it quite entertaining because you're close all day when you race generally, you know? Um, so I find it quite exciting, you know, whereas like someone else who's going to be a front pack swimmer and then bike strong as well, you're not really in a bit of a battle for so long. Do you know what I mean? Um, so, and there's always a bit, you know, like we get on all right, but there's a bit of like, you know, banter between the two of us as well, you know? So I find kind of, but it's quite exciting when you race him and also, when you race Lionel, you know it's going to be a hard race as well. Like, if you beat him, it's not going to be an easy win. You know, you're always going to have to work hard for it and you're going to have to probably bring out your A game to get the better of Lionel, which I find quite exciting. And, you know, it gets you a bit pumped up for the race because you're like, you know, this guy's tough to beat. If I want to beat him, I'm going to have a great race. We're similar age, similar characteristics. So, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's it's quite nice. I like it. I, I wonder how many people would answer that question with, with Lionel Sanders as the answer. I think it would be quite high. I think it's because he's got a big social media following as well, isn't it? So you see a lot of him, whereas like some of the athletes, you don't see so much of, but like, you know, he's got the videos on YouTube, which are like follow his story, you see how he is. And it kind of makes it when he's there, he kind of generates quite a lot of hype with a race because people are like so keen to see how he goes because, you know, you know, you know, it's either going to go two ways with Lionel. He's either going to absolutely annihilate it or he's probably going to have a shocker, isn't he? You know, there's there's not often he has a medical race, is it? You know, it's either fantastic or 
not very good, especially in the Ironman distance. You know, in the seventy point threes, he's extremely consistent. You know, pretty much nine times out of ten, he wins the wins it, doesn't he? Yeah, it is funny. He either he either like is so strong or he's walking for twenty k on the run. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, the only thing I'm I'm quite disappointed with in this chat is that. I fully expected you to take the piss out of me at least once. It's very uncharacteristic uncharacteristic of you not to. So I'm a little bit disappointed you didn't. I thought I might have got, <laughs> got a little bit, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh I mean it's uh it's 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 hard really to 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 know really what to say to you, Jack, because I don't actually know what you look like because I can't see <laughs> you on the on the camera or anything. <laughs> so okay, this is something people don't, listening don't know, but I want to talk about it because it's quite funny, isn't it? So for the first few episodes, I uh, had had webcam doing these. So like, if you go back to the first few episodes, they were all done with a webcam, um, and. But then, but then my computer broke and I, I haven't bought a new one yet. So I'm using my housemate's computer and it is genuinely from 2006 or seven. Like it's so old. I don't understand how it still works. It doesn't even have a webcam. That's how old it is. So I, I've just got these images of you just kick back around the house, like starters <laughs> or something saying that you're a, webcam doesn't work because you can't bother to get changed or something. You know, you just got out the shower and you're like, spread out on the sofa or something but all i can see is a how they train logo <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> maybe i need to put a photo of me there but yeah you're right i only podcast naked so i can't have a webcam even if i wanted to that's why i haven't bothered to buy a new one yeah let's do what mark zuckerberg does and put a bit of tape over the webcam <laughs> just with like a corner of it like so you can just see a little bit so you can just sort of see like my leg just a, just a tease to show people what they're missing out on like this is what you could be seeing oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that's uh, pretty funny hey that was a great chat and i really appreciate you coming on it's been uh, a long time uh, in the making so I'm, I'm i'm really privileged to have you on and I, I i rate everything about you i think you're a, a great personality you're really fun to to listen to on your podcast and and i've watched uh, quite a few of your, your videos and you're great and yeah i, I love uh, i love everything about the way you race as well so um absolute privilege on my to have you on and and hopefully we can do it again and and, and chat triathlon and and me naked and all of it it'd be great <laughs> yeah no cheers thanks for having us on the show jack good luck with uh recovery good luck with getting back into things and uh i'll be following along this year as well so hopefully you can, you can have a, a few big race wins yeah thanks it looks like i'm starting to get back into the swing of things now like after how i felt yesterday from the ride so it's looking positive like a week ago it was looking a bit like jesus like how long is this uh, going to kick on for? And then you hear the stories of people like getting long COVID and still dealing with it three months later. You're kind of a bit worried, like, Jesus, like, I hope I'm not like that. Keep us in the loop. I'll, uh, I'll be following your Instagram, but yeah, keep everyone in the loop with how you're doing because uh, we do, we are interested, even if we don't, you send you nice messages. Don't listen to the haters. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I will do. Yeah, cheers. Thanks, mate. Right. See you, Joe. See you.